Center's Lenten mission on the four last things death, judgment, hell, and heaven. This is a stirring wake up call to modern society which has desensitized itself to the realities of sin, death, man's immortal soul, and the life hereafter. This mission was given by Father Isaac Mary Relier in St. Catherine's. Ontario, Canada, in the 220th year of our Lord, just prior to Ash Wednesday. This is the second conference of the mission on the theme of judgment. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise on our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer them. Lady of Fatima, St. Joseph, St. Pio, St. Francis, St. Alphonse Liguori, St. Anthony Mary Claret, St. Vincent Ferreira. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Tonight we come to the second talk, which is on the judgment. And as you'll see, there's two judgments. There's a particular judgment and a general judgment. There's a particular judgment, which we'll see, is you are an individual, and therefore you must be judged as an individual for your acts and for your sins of omission. You also are part of society, part of the church. Therefore, you have to be judged as a whole, and that's what God has the final judgment for at the end of the world. And so yesterday we spoke upon death. And we could see that death is consequence of original sin of Adam and Eve. That because of their sin, they had to die and all men have to die. And the, the ultimate cause of sin was the death of our Lord on the cross. And we saw yesterday that was not in God's plan. And so we know that death is certain that everyone must die. All your ancestors have died, and you will die too. Whether you want to or not, you can't stop it. But the scary part is that we don't know the time of our death, as I told you yesterday. And that if you die in a state of grace, you all is saved. Everything is one. Because this is a pilgrimage. So many people think this is the end of everything. This life is really just a flash. That's it. You're here to merit heaven. You're here to prove your love for our Lord and our Lady. You're here to follow Jesus to Calvary. 
and to merit heaven. Because heaven's not just given to you. You must merit it. Christ merited the grace for us on the cross. But we still have to merit heaven. And our Lord tells us, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So I told you stories yesterday of sudden deaths. And a sudden death is not a blessing. So many people say, oh, yeah, my so-and-so died. I'm so glad it was quick. She didn't have to suffer. He didn't have to suffer. I say, you fool, that's not good. A sudden death is not good. Because when you're dying, you want to be able to make acts of faith, hope, and charity towards God. So, so important. That's why when, you're, when people are in a lot of pain, the church says you can medicate them, but only to a point, because you don't want them to reach a point where they're not able, capable of making these acts of faith, hope, and love. It's not good to be all drugged up on your deathbed. You want to be on the cross with Jesus, and you want to be united with him, and you want your full faculties. So don't be praying for a sudden death. Don't. It's not good. And now, sometimes it happens. So I gave you those stories. I'll tell you two quick ones more that I remember from the past. We talked about all these car accidents yesterday and how people die suddenly in these car accidents. And when you die, it's it's it. You're going to go to the judgment as you're going to see. And in Long Island one year, many years ago, this lady was driving on the Long Island Expressway. So it's three lanes in each direction. And she was doing probably like 60, 65. And somebody shot a rifle, a a 22, which is a very small bullet. But it ricocheted off the water because the water can be like concrete, the top of it. And it traveled over a mile. And as this lady, so this bullet is shot, hit, skips off the water. This lady's doing 65 miles per hour on the Long Island Expressway. Bullet pierces the window, hits her in the temple, and kills her instantly. You know what kind of time and precise timing that has to be for that to happen? And once that happened, she went to the judgment seat right away, as we're going to see. Once again, if that happens to you tonight or me tonight, and it can happen to anyone... Are you ready? Uh, many years ago, around the corner from my grandmother's house, the neighborhood got really bad. And there was a little nine-year-old girl on the second floor in a private house. And she was sitting by the window at a desk doing her homework. And these drug dealers had a shootout. A bullet went through her window, hit her in the temple, and she died instantly. A nine-year-old girl doing her homework. My friends, that could happen to all of us at any time. At any time. Doing our homework, mind our own business. And some people say, oh, well, she was nine years old. She don't have nothing to worry about. I don't know about her soul. I hope she didn't. But that's nonsense if you think that nine-year-olds can't commit mortal sins. Because they do. More now than ever. Because of the wicked TV. The Internet. All this trash that's shoved upon them. Young kids are losing their souls. So I don't care how old you are. So you don't want a sudden death. I'm going to say things tonight. This is going to be a long talk, my friends. 
And so it's good. Prepare you for Lent. You're getting extra penance, and it's good. But this talk is probably going to... I don't even want to tell you how long, because you may want to run. But this talk may help you more than all the talks. Because when I go through the particular judgment, I'm going to end up, after I go through what it is, I'm going to give you an intense examination of conscience. Going over the Ten Commandments, once again, they're not the Ten Suggestions, they're the Ten Commandments. Pay attention. And if anybody has a problem with anything I say, which there's always somebody, I know we had somebody who wasn't too happy last night, come and see me. I'm willing to sit down with you and explain it. There's not going to be no question and answers after the talk. But you want to see me, you could come to the library, and I will try to be as patient as possible, believe it or not, and try to explain to you the truth of all. Because everything that I'm teaching you here is not up for grabs. Once again, I told you yesterday, it's like a crash course in Catholicism. And when I do the examination of conscience, you know, when if you get really convicted, people get nasty sometimes. Because I always tell people, it's like if you have an infection in your side and I come over there and hit you in the side, you're going to jump. Because it hurts. And when the priest is preaching and the word goes out and you're getting convicted, it's going to hurt. The truth hurts. You ever hear that saying? But the truth sets you free. Are you willing to be set free? Don't be afraid of the truth. Don't be afraid if it's painful. Because just like if you have to go for an operation, the, the surgeon, you think he wants to cut you open? He doesn't want to, but he has to, to heal you. The same thing, God, the Holy Spirit, the, 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 convicts you. Not because he wants you to suffer, because he wants to heal you as part of the healing process. And so, immediately after death, the particular judgment takes place in which by a divine, divine sentence of judgment, the eternal fate of the deceased person is decided for eternity. The minute that person dies, the minute the soul leaves the body, Jesus Christ comes and judges that person right there. It's a divine judgment it's a divine sentence. Scary, my friends, scary. Okay? It's immediate. Immediate. It's not put off. So many people, I had somebody tell me just recently, well, Father, you know, uh, I'm a good negotiator. And I figured when I, you know, I die, I'll be able to negotiate with Jesus. I'm good. I said, yeah, yeah, you're not that good. You think you're going to negotiate with Jesus? There is no negotiating. And you're going to see why. So the particular judgment, let us remember that even when we see someone we love, say a relative, we go to a funeral home, they've died. Remember that person that's in that casket, their eternity already is decided. God forbid they may be burning in hell already and they'll never get out. Hopefully, they're at least in pregatory, okay? And hopefully, in heaven, very few go straight to heaven. And believe me, God wants you to go straight to heaven. 
It, it, I hate these, when I hear this, oh, Father, I'm just happy if I go to purgatory. It's an insult to God. Because God didn't create us to go to purgatory. He created us to go to heaven. He, he says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. He means it. We receive all the graces we need to save our soul. Our Lord is serious. So remember about this, that once again, you go, I just went to that wake of that girl. She was a niece to me. And there she is. She's judged. I'm looking at her. Where are you, Megan? Where are you? Where are you going to be? I always tell people when you go to a requiem mass or a funeral parlor, it's a dress rehearsal for your death. You too will be in that casket. You too. St. Alphonse says, yeah, they'll shed a few tears for you. And then they'll say, how much money did he leave me? (laughs) People forget you're crook, believe me. But it's going to happen to all of us. And this will help us to remember that we we should pray for the dead, for those who die. We pray, turn a rest, grant to them, O Lord. Let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. You should pray for the holy souls in purgatory too, because nobody, they can't pray for themselves. Only we can help them with our prayers, have the mass offered for them. But we never give up on a dead soul. So many people say, ah, he lived a bad life. He's probably burning in hell. I'm not going to pray for him. Protestants don't pray. They just think everyone just skates into heaven. It's a joke. But we got to pray for the dead. Never give up on a dead soul because there's no time with God. And so say you have someone who died and they died and you don't know what happened to them. They weren't anointed. We could still pray for them for the rest of our life. Our Lady of Fatima, once again, most souls go to hell because no one prays and do penance. So if you're willing to pray and do penance for people that you know that have died, God can imply all that ahead of time. Like he applied the graces for his mother, for her immaculate conception ahead of time. He merited those graces on the cross for his mother, but he applied it for her ahead of time. So she was preserved from original sin. He could also take the, the all the merits that you make and accumulate for the dead and apply it to a person. And maybe that person had a, a, a grace to make a perfect act of love before they died. And if you make a per, if there's no Catholic priest around, and you're a mortal sin, can you make it to heaven? The church says it's possible, and we don't make those judgments. We'll find out in the general judgment. But you would have to make a perfect act of love. And the perfect act of love is there's no fear of hell. It, you, that you love God so much you don't want to offend Him. But remember what St. Alphonse says, as you live, so you will die. So if you think you could go throughout your life making or living a wicked life, and then all of a sudden you have this perfect act of love, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary grace. But it's possible. And that's why I tell people all the time that come to me broken. My, my daughter, she died. She was living a wicked life. My son died. My husband died. I don't, they weren't in grace. I didn't seem, I said, will you pray that they had the grace to make a perfect act of love? Have masses said for their souls. So, so important. 
John, I'll tell you one story and we'll move on to judge. John Vianney one day was walking and this lady, he passed and he said to us, Miss, don't worry, your husband is in heaven. She says, you know, you don't understand. He goes, no, I do. Your husband is in heaven. She says, it's impossible. He goes, no, it's not. He goes, between the bridge and the water, he was granted the grace to make a perfect act of love. She goes, no, no, how can that be? He committed suicide. Yeah, from the bridge. When he jumped off, he was committing suicide. But on the way down, in a flash of a second, God could do whatever he wants. He was granted that beautiful grace. But you don't want to, you don't want to count on that, my friends. And, uh, and John Vianney, St. John Vianney revealed why he received that grace is because he brought flowers to the Blessed Virgin one day out of love for her. And I tell people all the time, tomorrow this place should be flowers up to the ceiling <laughs> for Our Lady. Because St. Louis de Montfort says you could have one hair sticking out of hell and you call on Our Lady, she'll snatch you right out of hell. Because she crushes the head of the demons. So remember, my friends, pray for the dead. Have masses for them. If you're smart, you better have a will made. And you better leave money to have a Gregorian mass said. That's 30 masses in a row. And the church teaches when the priest celebrates that first mass, if the souls in purgatory will be released. It's powerful. You better have masses lined up for you when you die because your relatives may not do it. They may want to spend your money in other ways. So make sure you're taken care of. So the particular judgment, we must all stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of all we have done and all that we have left undone. When do you hear, my friends, about sins of omissions? They could be grave sins. So you're going to be judged as an individual when your soul leaves your body of everything you've done, but also what you neglected. And I'll go over this in the, in the, in the examination of conscience. So you have, we all have grave obligations sometimes that can come under grave, uh, grave sins. If we don't do it, it's a sin. So we're going to be judged on all the things we left undone. And what we, what we have. When you die, our Lord illuminates your conscience. Everything, you'll know everything you have to know. The veil will be lifted. You'll know what the Holy Roman Catholic Church has taught for over two centuries is true. There'll be no doubt. All the sins you commit when your, your life is put before Christ, you're only gonna nod your head. There was this priest years ago, I seen him, uh, he was on Mother Angelica's show, and he went to the judgment seat. And it's just like I'm going to tell you, he says. He said he thought he would know what to say. He says, our Lord read in the, basically, he, he just nodded his head. I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. He was ready to be cast in the pit of hell, and our lady came. He says, son, if we give him a chance, send him back, he could warn others. And because the mother of God pleaded for him, he came back to life. And he was able to change his life. So this is true. How awful this judgment is, we learn from the words of St. Paul himself. In the book of Hebrews, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's not going to be the little baby Jesus. He came as a little baby. Why? Because he didn't want none of us, he didn't want us to be intimidated by him. He wants us to come to him. He wants to show us his love for us. And nobody's intimidated by a helpless little baby. That's how beautiful our Lord is. And how much he loves us. And how he's constantly trying to draw us with his love and his mercy in this world. But it is a terrible thing once the judgment comes. Because he's not coming as that meek little lamb. He's not going to turn the cheek. Strict justice will happen. For it is very alarming even to fall into the hands of an angry man. How much more terrible will it be to fall into the hands of the omnipotent God? David, King David said, Summon not thy servant for judgment, for no one alive is just before thee. Again, St. Paul says, I am not conscious to myself of anything, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Consider, my friends, what a strange new sensation it will be for your soul when it finds itself separated from its body in an unknown world for the first time. That's why people fear. We fear because we don't know what it's going to be like. You never experience it and you won't until it happens. Consider what a strange new sensation will be for your soul when it finds itself separated, once again, in an unknown world. Now, for the first time, your eyes will be truly open and you will see clearly what eternity is, what sin is, what virtue is, and how infinite is the being of the deity and how wondrous your own nature is. All these mysteries that we deal with now, they won't be mysteries no more. Okay? There are six things which strike terror into a soul when it is summoned to the particular judgment. And I'm taking this from Father Cochem. He wrote a great book on the four last things. He's a great Franciscan preacher. And he says these are the things that will strike terror into the soul. Number one, the soul fears because he knows his judge to be omniscient, that nothing but nothing can be concealed from him, nor can he be in any way deceived. You can't lie to the Lord at the judgment. You know, people think they go to court, they swear on the Bible, and they lie through their teeth. Look at our politicians. People say, you think he lies? They say, a politician, when his lips is moving, you know he's lying. And that's true. They're all liars. And they think they can lie. They get, you may get away with it in this world, but you, don't, you can't lie to Jesus. In the judgment. He knows everything. Everything. Every hair on your head. He knows it all. So you're not going to be able to deceive this judge. You're not. The second reason is because this judge is omnipotent. Nothing but nothing can withstand him. And no one can escape from him. I don't care if you're Hercules or whatever you think you are. You can't run from God. Everyone must go to the judgment And you will go trembling. The third is because his judge is not merely the most judge, but the most strict of judges, to whom sin is so hateful that he will not allow the slightest transgression to pass unpunished. 
we have to make reparation and atonement for our sins. Because when you sin, you affect the whole mystical body of Christ. When we do good, we merit, we affect the whole body of Christ in a good way. But when we sin, it has many effects. Number one, if it's mortal, the worst thing is you're separating yourself from God. But sin brings shame, it brings guilt, and affects people. Uh, Just for instance, I deal with all the time, these these, uh, poor families, they end up, uh, a divorce takes place. The kids, it's devastating for children when a divorce happens. So for the sins of the father, the mother, those poor children pay. All this has to be made reparation for. So everything, everything must be paid. Now's the time to pay up. Number four, because the soul knows that God is not his judge alone, but also his accuser. He has offended him and he will defend. He will defend his honor and avenge every insult offered to it. That's pretty scary, my friends. That the judge you go before is the judge that you have crucified. I tell people all the time, it's a a simple analogy. Uh, You imagine this this man's walking down the block. He comes to the corner. This guy jumps out, beats him up, breaks his nose, breaks, you know, beats him up bad, robs him. And then uh, a week later, this guy gets caught, beats someone else up, and he pulls, he goes before a judge. And you imagine he's looking at the judge, says, that guy looks familiar. He's all black and blue, banged up. And the judge looking at him say, he looks familiar. And he realized, that's the guy who beat me up. How's it going to go for that poor slob? Not good. But when you go before Jesus, there's no more mercy. No more mercy. Time to pay up. Time to pay. Number five. Because the soul is aware that the sentence, once pronounced, is irrevocable. There is no appeal for him to a higher court or a higher judge. It is useless for him to complain of the sentence. And it cannot be reversed ever, whether it's favorable or not. He must accept it. He must. And once it's pronounced, if it's not good, the gates of hell open and you're thrown into the gates of, into the pit of hell. Never to get out. Once again, there's one gate for entrance, no exit for eternity. The sixth, the most powerful reason of all why the soul fears to appear before the judgment seat is because he knows not what the sentence of the judge will be. And if he dies in mortal sin, he has much more cause to fear than to hope. And all thought of help is now over. Forever, forever lost, forever damned. But if you walk with the Lord and you're under the mantle of the virgin, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the judgment. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Our Lord, he conquered death for us. So these are the things, my friends. So it's at the present time. It depends on, on you to choose whatever sentence you please. Review and settle your accounts now. The judge may be appeased before the judgment, but not during it. That's it. When you cross over, it's done. Nothing can be changed. You don't get another chance. You don't. 
So now what I want to do, and I'm going to do an examination of conscience. And we're going to go through the Ten Commandments. Now I want to say a couple of things because I have to, because so many people take things, uh, they don't listen. The first thing I want to say is this, that we don't want to have a lax conscience. And a lax conscience is where your conscience, you can never kill your conscience. Never. But it can be dulling. And the more you commit sin after sin after sin, your conscience gets duller and duller and duller. You don't want that. The opposite is that is you don't want a scrupulous conscience either. Where you think you're committing sin or your sins have been forgiven, you confess them, and you don't believe you're forgiven. A scrupulous conscience is, uh, is torturous. And if you're a serious Catholic, at one time, a point in your, in your road to, to God, you're probably going to experience. Many of the saints did. And scruples is one of the hardest things for a priest to deal. The only way you get over scruples, my friend, is to find a steady confessor. But he has to know what he's doing, and he has to be very strong with you. And you have to be obedient. Scruples is rooted in pride, mostly. You know better. And so the only way you're going to get over that is submit yourself to one priest, not five, six. A lot of people like to go priest shopping, you know. Oh, finally, I don't want the priest to know who I am, you know. It's no good. So what kind of conscience do we want? We want a delicate conscience, like the saints had. And when the saints, the minute they committed a sin, if they did a slightest, even indeliberate, a venial sin, they would repent, they would be weeping. That's what we want. My friends, I recommend that you go to confession once a week, if it's possible. And nothing less than every two weeks, because in order to get all the indulgences that are available, you have to make a confession. You have to confess your sins, of course. You have to uh, do the work. And you, uh, it has to be, the confession has to be eight days before or eight days after. And so if you go every two weeks, you'll be able to get all your indulgences will help get you out of purgatory. And so the next thing is important before we go into this examination of conscience is that remember, there's two kinds of sins. There's mortal and there's venial. A venial is a slight sin. It doesn't separate us from God, union with God. A mortal means death. And that's a great, and to order to commit a mortal sin, remember this, while I'm going through this examination of conscience. It has to be, number one, a grave sin. Number two, you have to have sufficient knowledge. And then number three, free will. If one of them is missing, it's not mortal. So keep that in mind. And so we're going to start the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and thy whole soul. Have you neglected prayer? Have you been guilty of ingratitude towards God? Have you have shown hatred toward God or His church? These are all sins. And one, one more point, that the first commandment, it's a hierarchy. You know, so the worst commandment to break is the first. And then after that, the second and the third. The first three commandments, when you violate it, you offend God directly. And the next seven, you offend God and your neighbor. And so the worst, once again, the worst is number one, then two, three. And you'll see that. 
Uh, you've been guilty of atheism, one who rejects or denies, doubts the existence in God, in theory, or practice. Once again, that is a, the, the biggest group growing these days. That's uh, more and more people are falling into atheism today. Because when you fall away from God, you, you end up turning to superstitions. Are you agnostic? Those are people who hold the existence of some transcendent being which is incapable of revealing himself and about which nothing can be said or make no judgment about God's existence. Declaring no judgment about God's existence, declaring it impossible to improve or even to affirm or deny that there really is this God. Have you committed sins of sacrilege? Profaning or treating unworthily the sacraments, as well as persons, blessed things, or statues, or places consecrated to God. This is really important, and it's on the rise. Number one, two, have you made bad confessions? This my, is so, so important, that if you go into the confessional, you're obliged to con- confess all mortal sins that you're aware of. You're not obliged to confess all venial sins, but you're obliged to confess all mortal. You are. And so if you went into the confessional and you would tell a sin out of shame, and it happens a lot. As a priest, I was shocked when I started hearing a lot of confessions, how many people would told sins. Many people do. And I find, and when I do missions like this, as many elderly people that may have had an abortion or took part in an abortion 40, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah, they had abortions back then. They've been from the beginning of time. And they, they were totally embarrassed. And they, they were told they won't confess it. And once you do that, every, every time you go to confession after that, it's a sacrilege. You receive communion, it's a sacrilege. And so you want to straighten out if you made any bad confessions and holy communions. How, have you ever received the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin? You desecrate our Lord when you do that. And believe me, many people do it. Many people do it. I've, I've been amazed doing the missions. And you know many people I've uh, confessed and they were daily communicates for many years. Come in and they come and after I preach like this, they'll say, I, I, I've been committing sacrilege. Thank you for, for helping me. Serious, serious sin. Have you committed now uh, sins of idolatry? Worshiping false gods such as giving honor to a creature in place of God. Have you dabbled in the occult? Have you horoscopes? Yeah, horoscopes are a mortal sin. Astrology, palm reading, fortune telling, sorcery, witchcraft, voodoo. Wearing charms, Ouija boards, spiritism, which is speaking to the dead. Have you let your children, or do you read Harry Potter, Pokemon, all this nonsense that the devil has used to infiltrate into the family, to destroy it? Harry Potter's from hell, my friends. And if you don't believe me, just go on witches, real witches and warlocks that admit that they do black magic. And let me explain that there is no difference between black magic and white magic. 
It's all evil. And those witches, and you could go on these websites, they'll tell you Harry Potter is one of the greatest things that happened for our movement. Because we get many young kids that enter into Satanism full-blown because of Harry Potter. And if you're a parent and you let your children read that, it's grave matter. You take those books and burn them. Get them out of your house. Because you will not have peace in that house. And, and no, will every kid that or a person that reads Harry Potter, will they end up possessed? No, but some do. I know exorcists that have cases. And they, the demon, you have to say, you know, how'd you get in? What was your mission? How'd you get in? Ha, 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 Harry Potter. They thought it was just a novel. Serious stuff, my friends. So are you, de- and, and, and the occult, once again, is on the rise. It's on the rise. This is real, real problem today in the church. And many priests are telling, oh, it's all right. Harry Potter, once again, was written, she admits that she received Harry Potter. She was already on the Euro rail, and it was infused into her head within seven seconds. She knew the whole Harry Potter story. It's demonic. There are real spells in Harry Potter. And I drive this home. Because I have to deal with it all the time. One lady in Spain, it was in the newspapers. She, she wanted to see if the spells would work. She was in Portugal. It was all in the newspapers. My sister read it to me one day. And it was divine province because I just had a whole family that were traditional attack me because I came down on Harry Potter. And she, she started repeating one of the spells. And her house went on fire before her eyes. True story. True story. This is serious stuff. The next thing, have you willfully doubt of any articles of faith? Have you fallen into the sins of heresy? Have you deliberate, uh, you know, have you, uh, are guilty of ignorance of the faith? We're obliged to study the faith. It doesn't end with confirmation. But faith, heresy is a big problem today, my friends. A big problem. We have to know our faith. If you don't know your faith, how, how are you going to defend it? If you don't know your faith, you could end up in errors. And then when you find out the truth, you may not want to uh, give it up. Today, the church is riddled with heresy from the top down. Unfortunately, Pope Francis has been spewing heresies out left and right for a long time now. About marriage, about the death penalty. I go on and on about these things. It's demonic. And so, so many people, we got to know that we can't follow anyone in heresy, no, and even a pope. St. Thomas Aquinas says that we have an obligation to rebuke a prelate publicly if he departs from the faith. An obligation. And that goes for the pope. St. Paul did it to, to St. Peter, the first pope in Galatians. I resisted him to his face. For he was wrong. For he was to blame. So the thing is, are you guilty of any of these things? And when you commit the sin of heresy, my friends, there's, there's material heresy and formal heresy. Material heresy is where you're holding a heretical point, but you don't know it's heretical. So you're not guilty in a grave matter. But formal heresy is where you know the church says contraception is intrinsically evil, you can't do it. And you say, well, I don't care, I'm doing it anyway. 
You're in heresy. You, you say uh, a, a, a married person can divorce his wife and enter into another relationship and commit adultery and that he could go to the sacraments and that he, and even at times it's pleasing to God. You're in heresy. And when you commit sins, a mortal sin, you always lose the theological virtue of charity. But when you commit sins against the faith, sins of heresy, you lose all the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. That's why we see what we see around us. People don't have faith. And what does it mean to have faith? The Protestants don't have faith. People, what are you saying? They don't. Simple definition of faith is that we believe in everything that Jesus Christ has revealed to Holy Mother Church because he cannot deceive nor be deceived. So does a Protestant believe in the Eucharist? No. Does a Protestant believe in the, the virginity of the blessed, perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin? Most don't. Her Immaculate Conception? Do the Protestant believe in purgatory? No. So they don't believe in everything that Christ has taught. And we have to pray for them. And that's why one of the doctrines that's being denied more than anything is that there's no salvation outside the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Do you believe that? Are you praying for all the people outside the church to come back into the church to save their soul? You better be. So that's indifferentism too, which means to believe that one religion is as good as another or all are equal. And this is one of the errors of the Second Vatican Council with this false ecumenism that man, they says, has a right to choose what religion he has. Heresy. That these other religions can be a means of salvation. Heresy. If you're in a false religion, it's a means to hell, period. Period. So, and, and, you know, talking about that, have you gone to other religious services? It's a mortal sin to go into a Protestant. I don't call it church, because it's not a church, it's a building. It's a mortal sin to participate in the Seder meal. You know how many Catholic church these, these priests are out of their minds and bishops that they have these Seder meals? The, the, the old covenant is dead. You can't save your soul in the old covenant. And it's Thomas Aquinas makes it clear. It's a great mortal sin to participate in the old rituals. And, you know, they want us to pray with Muslims. Islam is from hell. It's a wicked, wicked religion. Islam, Islam teaches this, that all infidels must be put to death. They want, that means everyone here, they want to cut your head off. I respect them in only one way, that they believe in their religion and they're willing to die for the devil. Imagine if all us Catholics had that zeal, that we believe in everything and we're willing to die for our master. We're willing to climb up on that cross and be crucified. We would have converted the whole world already. We would have converted the whole world. So you can't go to other religious services. 
You just can't. You can't go to the Jewish temple. You can't go to the Protestant. Protestant, what does the word mean? To protest. What are they protesting? Christ and his true church. And you want to go? How can you have communion with someone like that? What communion? There's no communion. And now our Pope tells us it's basically sinful to proselytize. I'd like to know how he reconciles that with the first command God gave the apostles. I command you. Notice, he said, I command you to go to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teach them everything I have taught you. And now we're told we're evil if we proselytize? No. That's what we need to do. We have to, you want to call it, you want to evangelize. We got to live the faith more than anything so that we'll attract people into the true church. Be charitable, but also evangelize. You know, God wants to use you to bring the faith to the world. You could go places that I can't be everywhere. But if everyone does their part, and if you really believe in the teaching, which is true, no salvation outside the church. We shouldn't rest until every Jew, every Muslim, every Protestant, atheist is converted to the true church. You know, uh, we, we look at this false ecumenism, it's nonsense. My Holy Father, St. Francis, he had a burning desire to die a martyr. And he went to Africa, he went to, he seeked out the head, the Saracen, the, the Muslims. And he wanted to be, he wanted to be put to death for Christ. That's why St. Anthony of Padua became a Franciscan. He was an Augustinian. When he heard that the first Franciscan martyrs died, laid down their life, he wanted to die like that too. And they brought him in chains, St. Francis. And he was so filled with joy. And they bring him before the, uh, you know, the Saracen there. And, and he's the head and he goes, so he said, I'll tell you what. He was so impressed with St. Francis because he, st- he wanted to give him money. He said, I don't want money. He wanted to give him women. I don't want women. And he was, couldn't believe it. And so St. Francis said, I'll tell you what. There was a big fire. I'm sure many of you have heard this. And he said, and his cler- the clerics, the Muslim clerics were there. He says, me and your clerics walked through the burning fire. It was a big one. Whoever comes out unharmed has the true God. And what did those clerics did? They ran with their tail between their legs. And they had tails probably because they're devils. That's what happened. And he wanted to convert. But he was afraid that his people would, uh, it wouldn't. But that's, now, I guess according to Pope Francis, that St. Francis was a wicked sinner by doing that. You can't reconcile the two. Where's the true faith? We have to have it. So we don't engage in schismatic or heretical worship. If you have, it's a grave mortal sin. Have you defended Christ in his church? Once you're confirmed, you know, you become a soldier of Christ. You have an obligation to defend Christ by word and by deed. People blaspheme. Correct them. When you hear people mock Christ in his church, correct them. In charity. But do it. We have to. We're, it's... Otherwise, it's a sin of omission. Have we joined any forbidden societies? Masons say. The Masons, you can't be a Mason and a Catholic. 
They're evil, evil men. And there's different levels in the Messiah. The lower levels, they, they, they dupe these men. It's like a social club, but it's, it's a wicked organization. We know that men that have been converted, that the Masons are the number one enemy to the Catholic Church. They say that we are their enemy. And the two secrets of the Mason is that to destroy the Catholic Church, okay, and that the higher-ranking ones worship Satan. They have black masses. It's true. And so you can't be part of a group. You take a, you take a secret rituals, an oath, and you promise in the oath never to reveal the secrets of the Masons, but they won't tell you what they are. So you can't take an oath like that. Say Maximilian Colby, right, right after a, a lady appeared in Fatima in 1917, he founded the militia of Immaculate because the Masons were so bold at that time in front of St. Peter's, burning a dummy that was supposed to be the Pope and telling the Pope that they would destroy him and his church. Father Matteo tells a beautiful story of a man that, he, uh, 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 that was converted. He was a Mason. And when the priest, he was going to assassinate a priest, he had a dagger. And when the priest, he went to the, he was ready to jump over the altar rail, and when the priest lifted up the host, the man said he was driven down to his knees. And he believed all of a sudden in the Eucharist. And he went to Father Matteo and he told him, I am a Mason, and I was hired to assassinate you. And he said, when you lifted up that host, God showed me it was him. And he said, Masons, it's real. They're evil. You can't join these groups. Have you committed the sin of despair? Where you despair of God's mercy? This is very common today. Because when you don't, the opposite of despair is what? Hope. Where we believe in Christ's promises. And that we will be rewarded. He says he's prepared a mansion for us in his father's house. And despair is horrible. Where you believe that not even God could even save you. And many people today, these young children, they're all despairing. Why? Because they buy into the lies of the world. The lies of the devil. Don't listen to your mother and father. Don't listen to that crazy priest up there. Do what you want. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. And so these young kids especially, they do all of it. And they say, why? I'm, I'm supposed to be feeling good. I'm doing all these things. Why am I so miserable? Why is my heart so empty? Because you were created to know God, to love Him. He created you for Him and Him alone. And He is infinite love. And when you try to fill your heart with all this poison, it's finite. You can't satisfy and you'll never satisfy. And you keep going, going, and then the devil, he gets you deeper and deeper enmeshed in his web. And then he tells you his lies. God will never forgive you. It's horrible when you see someone despairing. Horrible. Have you committed the sin of presumption? Presumption means you say, you know what? I know this is wrong. I know if I do this with this girl or this boy, I know if I go to the bar tonight and get drunk, Father will be in a confession tomorrow or the next day. I'll take my time, but he'll, God will forgive me. That's wicked. 
He's saying, I know I'm crucifying you. I know I'm putting the nails in, scourging you, because when we sin, that's what we do. It's one of the worst, worst sins to do. You're spitting in our Lord's face. Tell him, I don't care. This is going to hurt you, but I'm doing it anyway. And you will forgive me. Wicked, wicked, wicked. Notice, I'm still on the first commandment. And this is not a complete examination of conscience. So many people come in, Father, I can't think of anything. And, you know, a half hour later, we're still on the first commandment. And, they, and they, so many people say after this examination of conscience, you know, I thought I was doing good till I heard this. And this ain't everything. The next, have you boasted of your sins? Have you, we covered that, John, this. Have you, okay, so the next, we're going to move on. We're going to go on to the second commandment. Second commandment. Have you been disrespectful with the use of God's name, blasphemy, or the saints, the Blessed Virgin, or the church? This is very common. And let me tell you something. A lot of people get possessed when they blaspheme, literally possessed. It's a wicked sin. To do this. And our lady at Fatima, she came and she told her that our Lord requested the first five Saturdays because of blasphemies to the Immaculate Heart of His Mother. Where you pray the rosary, meditate on the mysteries, you receive Holy Communion and go to confession. In, with the intentions of making reparations for the blasphemies against our lady. And I'm gonna go through real quick the reasons uh, what are the five blasphemies Our Lady tells us against her Immaculate Heart? Number one, blasphemies against the Immaculate Conception. I told you, Protestants don't believe in that. Number two, blasphemies against her perpetual virginity. How that is constantly attacked. That Our Lady is defined was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of our Lord. That Our Lady had a miraculous birth. She didn't give birth like a regular woman. Her virginity was intact. The father's doctors say, Our Lady, when she gave birth to our Lord, she was standing there the next minute. Our Lord's in her, her, her arms. Her virginity is intact. How dare anyone blaspheme her virginity? St. Louis de Montfort said, let me tell you something, you mess with God, but when you mess with his mother, he'll take a vengeance on you. Number three, blasphemies against the divine maternity, refusing at the same time to encourage others, as her, uh, to encourage her as the mother of mankind. She is our mother. She's our mother. She's the mediatrix of all graces. She gave birth to us spiritually at the foot of the cross. Number four, blasphemies of those who publicly seek to sow in the hearts of children indifference or scorn or even hatred of the Immaculate Mother. Our Lord said, better a millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown into the depths of the ocean than to scandalize the little ones. And we see this happening all the time. Number five, the offenses of those who, who outrage her directly 
in her holy images. There was a movie, I forgot the name, uh, the name of the exact title, but it was about, you know, nativity. And they show you our, our lady giving birth. I would never watch it, of course. It's blasphemous. It's, it's sickening of her screaming and yelling, giving birth like a regular woman. Our lady had no pains giving birth because she was immaculately conceived. Uh, that's a sin. That's uh, the effects of original sin. Because when Adam and Eve, he kicked Adam out and he said, you shall work by the sweat of your brow from now on. And he lost all his preternatural gifts and he was kicked out. But to the woman, he said, and you, Eve, because you led your husband into sin, you receive all his punishment plus a twofold. The, the next, you get all that Adam had plus you must suffer, a child when given birth, and you must be submissive to man. They hate that one. Even traditional women hate that one. Very, very rare do I ever see a, a submissive woman. So, Have you committed sins of perjury? Where you lie on the oath. And when you do that, you swear to God. God, if I'm lying, strike me dead. Be careful. He will. Have you taken false and unnecessary oaths? So many people always swear, and you don't take oaths unless it's very necessary. Okay? Have you broken any vows or promises you made to God? Okay? Very important. The third commandment is keep the Sabbath day holy. Have you, are you, are you guilty of omission of prayers and, the whole, and, and mass? Holy days of obligation. You're obliged to go to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. You're obliged. And people say, would God send me to hell because of, due to my own fault I miss Mass? I say, sure will. But you send yourself there because you choose not to go. It's a grave, grave sin. Okay? Have you fulfilled your Easter duty? Every year you must confess your sins. You must go to the whole Mass and you must receive the Holy Eucharist. If you're not, that's a, that's a mortal sin. Have you done unnecessary servile work? You know, I don't, now don't get me wrong. Some people, unfortunately, have to work on Sundays. And in our wicked society, they do it purposely. There's companies that make everyone work on Saturday, on Sundays. Everyone has to work. It's all an attack on Christ. And it's church. And you're not allowed to work, even in your house. You're allowed two hours of servile work. But how many people, how many women do all their wash, they wait for Sunday, or they want to clean up? The, no, you could do a little. But you're not. It's a day of worshiping God, a day of recreation with the family. Have you gone shopping on Sundays? It's forbidden, except for food and medicine. And people on look at the malls, they're jam-packed. People, you wouldn't know, Sunday. It was in most states, I don't know about Canada, but in the United States it was outlawed. Most, every Sunday used to be pretty solemn day, even for Protestants. But no more, just about everything's open. Do you, how's your deportment in church? Do you, do you talk in church? Do you dress in modest? Very, very important. Do you give alms to the church? 
Do you give alms to the church? The fourth commandment, thou shalt honor thy mother and father. This is a big one. After the first three, this is the most important one. We start with the parents. Have you ever hated your children? That means you wish bad upon them. Yeah, parents hate their children sometimes. Have you cursed them? And this is bad. And people, when I say curse, I don't mean using profanity, and that's not good either. But I'm talking about a curse. May you drop dead. May you do this. May this happen to you. Wicked. Uh, Father Gabriel Mort tells, tells a story in his book, a true story, of, a, of this man. He, want, he was Italian. He wanted to marry this girl, and his mother didn't want him to. And, and she wouldn't accept it. And she cursed him. She said, you will die in the bed that you were born in one day. Ten years went by. He didn't see his mother. So he, he came to his hometown. And he says, you know, she's had a soften by now. Ten years. Let me go to her house. And mama embraced him and she was nice. And all of a sudden a wicked storm came. This is a true story. A wicked storm came. And the mother said, you can't leave now. Go sleep in your bed. He did, and he never woke up. The curse took. And the exorcist will tell you when some of the hardest curses are real. Believe me. And they can be broken, but one of the hardest curses to break is a parent when it puts it on the child. So if you're guilty of that, you better confess it. And never, never watch your tongue. Have you give scandal to your children? Have you been drunk in front of them? Have you dressed immodest, bad language? Have you committed sins, period, in front of them? It scandalizes them. And our Lord said, better a millstone wrapped around your neck. You remember this, that sins of a father are handed down three to four generations. It's true. When I see a father hooked on porn, all the sons are hooked on porn. When I see, I just dealing with a case where, where uh, uh, somebody just left his wife with five children, and guess what? On on his side, there's a whole string of divorces in his in his in his bloodline. It's being handed down. Do you allow your children to grow up in ignorance, especially of the faith? The fathers, you you know, you have to teach. You know, what's the ends of marriage? Procreation, right, you know, and the education of your children. You are responsible, especially the men. Not all, you know, both of you, the man and the woman, but the man's the head of the family. He better be teaching catechism. He better be living the faith, because that's the best way to teach catechism. So have you, or do you let them grow up in ignorance, idleness, or sin? Like sometimes people have to homeschool today, and, and they have no choice because you can't send them to a demonic public school. But most Catholic schools are demonic too. It's only Catholic in, in, in name. And so you got no choice. If there is a real Catholic school, you, you're obliged to send them there. But if there's not, you have to homeschool. But some of the parents are lazy. and They're not doing their job. You have to make sure that kids educate, not only in the faith, but in temporal things too. And, and, and they, have, they need an education. Have you shown habitual partiality towards some child? This causes big problems. 
I never forget, I gave a mission. The kid came up to me. He was a young man. He said, Father, always preached that. He goes, when I was young, my mother always favored my brother. When I was 10 years old, I hated him so much, I cracked him in the head with a hammer. I almost killed him. These things happen. And I, 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 I help so many people, and they, they feel so rejected because their mother or father favored you know, the golden boy or golden girl, whatever. Don't ever sh- do, show favoritism like that. Okay? Have you neglected to watch over their bodily health? Okay? You got to make sure you take care of your children. I knew a man that wouldn't buy his, his daughter's eyeglasses. And she needed it. I ended up buying them for her. That man committed a grave mortal sin. Have you delayed baptism? It's a grave sin to, to delay baptism. You have children. And I, mean, I was in one parish. It was beautiful. I, I baptized babies the same day they came home to the hospital because they were taught right to people. It was a traditional parish. And that's so edifying. So many people. But the church, from, uh, if you wait more than a month, it's grave. Grave, grave, grave. Because why? Because when you're born, you're born in original sin. All the fathers and doctors tell you, you belong to Satan. That's why in the traditional baptism, there's three exorcisms where you're telling the devil, get out. This, is, this, this child's going to become a child of God. There's no place for you. And if a baby dies, God forbid, without being corrected, it goes to the limbo of the babies. You can't teach anything else because the church hasn't taught anything else. They can't go to hell. And so do not delay baptism. If you did, you got to correct or you got to confess it. Have you failed to correct and discipline your children? Many, many parents are guilty of not discipline. I mean, in fact, today it's very rare that you see children that are disciplined. Very rare. And discipline is, is, is not such an easy thing to do. Most of the time, the men are all totally emasculated. And they leave that to their wives. And it's not the wife's role. The wife is the queen of the family. She's the heart of the family. And God gives the grace to the husband to be the disciplinary. And then when the woman's wearing the pants and she's dishing out this stuff, she ain't doing it right. Because, and then sometimes the man has a conversion, then the, the woman doesn't want to give up the reins. She likes that power. You gotta discipline your children. And you want to do it fair. One, the biggest problems I see with discipline is that, number one, the parents have to be on the same page. Number two, they have to be consistent. When you give a punishment, you want to make it fit the crime that doesn't go overboard. But it's, it's fair, and you want to do it in love because discipline is an act of love. But if you're going to scream and yell at your kid, they're not taking it as an act of love. I just helped a family that, that I, I found out. I was helping her, and I was like, what are you doing? You're doing this all wrong. And, they, and so the person was shocked within one, two corrections her kids now, they go to bed on time. She, she tells me, Father, I can't believe what happened. What, I, I'm shocked. You're a priest. How would you know about these things? I said, very simple. Because everyone receives the grace of their vocation. 
As parents, you receive all the graces when you make that sacrament of matrimony between you and your spouse to, to all the graces you need to discipline your children, to do everything. And the priest receives all the graces he needs for his vocation. And part of my vocation is to instruct souls. So that's how we know these things. And it works. And so this person was too, too strong, smacking the kids around, screaming and yelling. Never worked. So now a couple of corrections, and she can't believe it. She's jumping for joy. And so are you too strong in your discipline, too harsh or cruel? And the opposite is being too soft. I have another person I'm helping, and the kids, they laugh at the father. They say, Dad, you know you'll never do that. I, I was on the phone recently, and all the kids were on the speakerphone. They, they were laughing at their father, saying, you, you tried that before. You know you're not going to do that. You're not going to take anything away from us. You're not going to. They were laughing at him. I said, look, look, your kids are laughing at you. Huh? No, these are grave sins because if you don't correct your children, they're going to grow up to be monsters. And when you don't correct your children, they don't respect the authority. And when they don't expect, respect the authority, they're not going to respect the authorities of the church. When they don't do, they won't respect the police officers, they won't respect the laws, they won't respect no one. If they don't respect their own mother and father, who are they going to respect? So we have to discipline, do it with love. And so like I say, you don't have to raise your voice. You say no. And, 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 and people get mad, but I say, you know, you tell your children something one time, just once. You never repeat the command. Because what happens is, when you repeat the command, you're teaching your children to disobey. Johnny, don't do that. Johnny, don't do that. Johnny, don't do that. Johnny knows. Ma will say that five times, maybe six, and then she'll start screaming like a maniac, drawing, hit me, you know, drawing shoes at me, whatever. Dad, I could push him three times, or maybe he's probably worse than the mother, probably eight times. So what are you doing? You're teaching your child to disobey. I'm going to keep telling you to do it. And then, and then a lot of people, they, they, they never obey. And then they reward them and not punish them. These are all grave sins. Have you watched the company that your children keep? The people that they stay with? The friends? The TV that they watch? The TV is demonic. Blessed Anna Marie Taiji had a vision years ago that the devil would control the world by a black box. She didn't know what that black box is. We know. There was a book called Airways from Hell. And that's where it's from. I can't believe the trash. You can't even watch the news comes on. You have homosexuals, lesbians, everything, witchcraft now. It is disgusting. It's demonic. Just throw the thing in the garbage. Throw them in the garbage. The books that your children read, uh, romantic novels of girls, those things are wicked. They're from hell. Once again, Harry Potter, Pokemon, all this stuff. The music, are you letting your children listen to demonic music? Rock and roll is from hell. Remember they tell the trinity of the demons. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. And you can listen to the words of these rock artists themselves. You can. And they'll tell you. There's a, a, a series, it was put out by Protestants, but it's worth watching. It's called Hell's Bells. Hell's Bells. And they said in the beginning, 
listen, if it looks like a duck, walk like a duck, quack like a duck, it's a duck. So you watch this video for six hours it is. And you, and you make up your own mind, but you're going to hear the words of these rock artists themselves. Jimi Hendrix said, when I'm playing, I don't know what happens. Something comes into my body and takes over. I can't play that way. What do you think that was? Modern things like, uh, uh, modern people like, uh, one of, what's her name? Katy Perry, Perry, something like that. She said she couldn't sing one, hold one note. And people tell her, you know what? Everyone knows in the business today that if you want to make it, you got to sell your soul to the devil. And you're competing against all these people basically that have, you know, preternatural gifts from the, from the evil one. And so she said, oh, I'll, she did it right away. She said she had a hit like that. Bob Dylan's on the he was He was in interview. And he said, uh, when are you going to retire, Bob? He goes, I can't, can't. What do you mean you can't? Why not? He goes, I made a contract. Contract with who? With, with the man, the captain. Who? The devil. And the deal is, once they make the contract, they have to continue to play their music because the devil snatches souls through this music. And once they stop, the devil takes them out. That's what happened to John Lennon. He became a recluse for five years. I forgot the guy killed him. He said the devil told me to do, and it was. He went over there and shot that man. Uh, what's her name? Beyonce, whatever her name is now. She says she has this demon. I don't even want to say the name. I know the name. She tells you the name of the demon. She says, when I dance, it's that demon in me dancing. You think she's joking? She's not. And you're letting your children look at all this trash? Grave, grave matter if you're letting them do this. And let me tell you, don't give your kids a cell phone. Don't give your kids a, a, a iPod, whatever it is. Don't let them on the Internet because these are the gateways to hell. And I can't yell it enough. What does your kid need a cell phone for? Don't give in to them because you're going to burn and so will they. When these kids get hooked on porn, I deal with it all the time, young, nine years old. You know what kind of struggle it is to break that? And most priests don't know how to break it. I'll tell you that right now. That's why the confession becomes a revolving door. And they're frustrated because they can't get these people to stop doing it because they weren't trained right. Don't do this with your kids. Don't. And let me tell you another wicked thing, and people bother, they get mad at me. Disney is from hell. They put curses on their things, and I could tell you stories, and you're not going to believe it. I don't really care if you believe it or not. You're playing with your own souls and your children's souls. And I'm going to tell you. And I know so many families, I have to go in their houses, and the demonic activity in the house don't stop until all the Disney is out. And one lady, a kid I know, she'll testify to it. Her kid was screaming, had a nightmare, and she had this Disney diaper on. And finally she realized it because she thought she cleaned the house out of all Disney, and she didn't realize it. And she took that diaper and put it into this blazing fire in, her, in the living room. And she said that thing wouldn't burn for a while. She hit it with holy water, it started to burn. So some people say, oh, they had their fire retard. All right, I'll give you that. But then the next thing that happened is that 
that ding, the diaper burnt up and it came a, a ball like the size of a big grape, a cantaloupe, she said, a black ball. And then it lifted up and it came out of the fireplace two feet towards her and she was getting nervous. And right before it came too close to her, it poof, it busted, it just disappeared. What do you think that was? That was the curse, the spell that was on it. Years ago, remember the Cabbage Patch Dolls? Demonic. Anton Levon, who was a head a Satanist, he owned the company. They were putting curses on those dolls. There was a show on 60 Minutes where they, they documented thousands of people, their children would tell them, Mom, my Cabbage Patch is talking to me. And they bring in the, and this was a problem. I just had two people, two families. They had a lot of demonic problems. And I started talking and I forgot. And then we're having dinner and I brought up the cabbage patch. I said, holy smokes, I have cabbage patch dolls. Get them, burn them, get them out. So these things are real. Uh, you got to watch what your children are. You're responsible. You are the primary educator of your children. Even if your children's going to a Catholic school, you are the primary educator. And anybody, anybody that wants to teach your child sex education, they should be shot. Because that is evil. Pope Pius XII was known as the defender of purity. He said the two worst evils are co-education, okay, co-education, and uh, <laughs> my mind, sorry. So these, these are evils. Evil stuff. It will come back to me. <laughs> so, we got a lot to go here still. Okay, co-education and sex education. Excuse me, that's the two evils. And many, you know many so-called Catholic schools are teaching their kids sex education? And I tell them, better a millstone wrapped around your neck. What our Lord said. You know what a millstone? 2,000 pounds at least. Our Lord's trying to get a message with a chain wrapped around your neck, drawn into the depths of the ocean. The oceans we know are over 5,000 feet deep. In other words, you're going to hell. You're not getting away. Why? Because he paid a price for your child. And that price is the blood of Jesus Christ, infinite value. And he gives you these childs to bring them to heaven, to make saints out of them, to populate heaven. That's what's so great about your vocation as married couples, that you could participate in procreation and populate heaven with saints. You can't, you, you're not going to get them to heaven if you do these things. If you expose them to the internet, pornography. I know a traditional man, he's raised his kids from when they were born, traditional mass every day, and he found his, his son on, a, on, on a, some kind of internet device. And it was wicked, it was even bestiality, it was disgusting. That's what happens. That's what happens. Have you abused your children sexually, physically, emotionally? Big problem. You know, this scandal in the, in the church with priests that have molested children, 
is mostly teenagers. It's, they're pederasts. They're not pedophiles. But there are some of them, too. And I have no pity on a priest like that. My opinion, once again, I'd say it all the time, a priest that's guilty of that should be put in jail, stripped down to, to nothing, scourged every night, bread and water for a month, let him make a confession and hang him. And I mean it. But guess who the number one offenders, the number one pedophiles, are parents, relatives. After that, school teachers. After that, all the other ministers and then the priests are on the bottom of the line. I'm like, once again, I go harder on the priest. But be careful. I, I, if, I was, if I was a married person, I wouldn't let no one watch my kids. Because I hear confessions. And I know what I hear. Be careful. Don't be running away from your children. You got them. And you're responsible for them. Don't hand them over to wolves because you want to go out and have a good time. Don't be going to, you know, how many people, they, oh, my wife has to work. No, your wife is not supposed to work. She's supposed to stay home, take care of the children, and protect them. i never seen a family yet abandoned by God who follows that. Never, never, never. You may not be rich, you may not have what you want, but you'll have what you need, and you'll get your children to heaven. You can't replace the mother at home. You can't do it. Watching over a children like a, like a hen watching over a little chicks. Your children learn more on your knees for the first seven years than they learned throughout their whole life after that. It's precious. It's a beautiful vocation. Embrace it. And all this feminism nonsense, poisoning you women to do what you're not supposed to do. Our lady stayed at home with Jesus. Our lady cooked, cleaned, prayed, and do penance. If it's good enough for her, it's good enough for you. The world will change when we get back to these things. And so... Have you not taken your children to Mass in Holy Days? So if you miss Mass on Sundays due to, your fault, or due to your own fault, and you have six kids, that's seven mortal sins. Seven. Here's some big ones that this is where we, people get really mad. And do you allow your children to see, sleep with their siblings or in your bed. Now, this is a grave mortal sin. St. Alphonse says it is, and he is the moral theologian of the church. St. John Vianney. I'm not talking about babies, and, and, and when, when you have a baby until the baby's weaned, fine, St. Alphonse says. But after that, it's a grave mortal sin. And when my moral professor taught us this, teaching from St. Alphonse, I, you know, I scratched my head. I said, whoa, what the heck's that about? You know, it's naive. And I thought I wasn't naive. And, uh, and then I, I accepted it on faith because I know St. Alphonse is not going to lie to me. He's a doctor of the church. And then when I started hearing confession, I said, oh, man, was he ever right? And you know how many people come to me and say, Father, never stop preaching that. Because when these young siblings... They're below the age of reason. They can't even commit mortal sin. But if you put them in bed together, the human body's made a certain way. Certain things happen sometimes. They don't even know they're doing wrong. And then they develop a wicked habit. 
and then they live a very promiscuous life. It happened all the time. I was teaching this in a convert class once, and this Marine got up, and he was, he was enraged. And he, so I let him yell and scream. I said, uh, so, I, and I was, I, I was ready to answer him. So this lady stood up. She goes, Father, can I just say something before we go? I said, sure, why not? And she goes, I can't believe we're talking about this. Cause I work, my friend that I know, good friend, is a social worker. And he has around, I forgot, over a hundred cases right now. And he told me so many of these kids told him that's what happened to him, and it led them into a wicked life, a promiscuous life, committing sins of the flesh. And many, many people tell me in a confessional that that's what happened to them before they were even seven. Don't allow it. Don't. It leads many souls to hell. Have you allowed your children to date? Dating is from hell. Dayton is not the church's plan, not God's plan for any of your children. The church has always taught honorable courtship. Honorable courtship. You court, first of all, you, the most important thing is that they have to discern their vocation from when there's little kids. You should have your children on their knees every day when they pray the rosary. Number one, pray that they never lose their baptismal innocence. That means they'll never commit a mortal sin. Number two, that God will reveal their vocation to them. Because your vocation is connected with your salvation. And our lady knows your vocation. And so if you do three Hail Marys every day from when you're a little kid praying, please show me God's will and have a St. Alphonse says a spirit, holy indifference, that you're willing to accept that no matter what it is. Because you'll get to heaven. God knows your temperament. He created you. He knows what it's going to take to get you to heaven. And if it's married's life, you don't do that. You're not, it's going to be so hard to make it. So hard to make it. And so, but parents have to watch too, that they don't get away in, in the way the vocation of the child. That they say, I want to be a priest. That to be a priest today is scary. Where, where are you going to go, number one? Because you can't, St. Alphonse say, if you're called to religious life or the priest, you can't go where they don't uphold the true faith. You can't, you can't. But you gotta pray these things. Have you, so have you gotten in the way of that? Uh, you tell them, no, you're not gonna do that. You can't do that. St. Alphonse says many parents are in hell and children are in hell because their parents didn't let them answer their true vocation. Okay? So you can't force a vocation on them. You can't force them to marry someone. These things don't work out. Children, we come to now. Hatred toward parents. Have you hated your parents? Have you wished your parents evil? Have you cursed them? Wish, you know, real curses, like I said before. Have you wished evil on them, on your teachers, on your superiors? Have you provoked your parents to anger? Have you insulted them? Have you neglected them in their necessity? And this is it. Many kids provoke their parents to anger. It's a wicked sin. Why are you, why are you gonna provoke your father or your mother to a point where they're gonna explode? Okay? Have you insulted them? It hurts when these children do these things. And have you neglected them? And this goes even for adults, like the nursing's homes are loaded with, with, with people that don't belong there because nobody wants to take care of their grand, their parents anymore. And they just put them away in nursing home. 
And I preach this all the time. I said, be generous with the Lord. The last child you don't want will be the one that will keep you out of the nursing home. And many, and more than a few people have come up to me after I preach. And I remember one lady in California, she said, Father, keep preaching that because I'm number 13. My mother had 13 children. Three years ago, the family had a meeting. And the, the vote, they took a vote to put mom in the nursing home. It went 12 to 1. And guess where she, that's why she's with me. I'm the last one. So it's, that's it. Have you provoked uh, disobedience, of course. There's disobedience in grave matters. And if you disobey your parents in grave matters, it's a grave mortal sin. Grave mortal sin. Husband and wife comes under this too. Have you put obstacles uh, to the fulfillment of religious duty? Some, sometimes a man won't let his wife fulfill her duties, and she has to. You, you, she, God comes before the spouse. Have you, is there a want of gentleness or unforgiveness? Have you given the silent treatment, verbal abuse? These things are devastating. They could be grave. Unforgiveness is really bad in a marriage. They, the, the good advice is never go to bed angry when you're married. Work it out. Pray together. I always tell people, the husband, if you're having a problem, get on your knees, grab your wife's hand, lead her in prayer. Pray to the Holy Spirit to come. Pray our lady to help you. And people that do that, they're amazed how the grace comes because it's there for you. Work things out. The silent treatment women are great for that. You know, I'll show him. (laughs) Sometimes they don't realize the husband's happy that she's not talking. (laughs) But the silent treatment's not good. It's not good. Have you denial of the marital act? Grave, grave matter. Many souls go to hell because it is. And many women use the marital act as a means of control and manipulation. And you have to have a grave, grave reason to deny the marital act. Next, woman, are you submissive to your husband? You have to be submissive in the scriptures to your husband in all things. What does that mean? All legitimate things. Your husband can't command you to sin, just like the Pope can't command you to sin or anyone else. Are you submissive? Your husband, too, but he has to be. Is he? Does he treat you? Does he love you as Christ has loved the church? That's a hard job. Because how did Christ love the church? He was crucified when we were his enemies. So if your wife is crucifying you, you have to love her. Can't run. Marriage is indissolvable. Have you gotten divorced? Have you neglected your household duties? Many women, you walk into the house, it's a pigsty. The husband, your house should be clean. Think, how do you think the holy house was? Our lady, that house was immaculate. Because that's part of duties. I see some women, they'll spend three hours a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. You go into the house, you can't even get in the front door. You think God's pleased with them in front of the Blessed Sacrament three hours a day when they're not doing their basic duties as a wife? No. No. Neglect for supporting your family. A lot of men, they, they're just lazy. They, they don't want to work. Or they say, well, my wife's more qualified for me. She could make more money than me. No, no, no. I don't care if you have to go out. I tell them and pick up cans on the street. 
You go do that. You support your wife. You support your children. Not being open to life, not being generous to God. You, you know, God wants you to multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And too many people are using NFP and it's a means of contraceptives. Our Lord, uh, the church says, Pius XII wrote a beautiful letter to the Italian midwives in October 1951 or 52. You could get it online. I advise all married couples to read it. And there's, you know, there are poss- times where it's, it's licit to use NFP, he says, but he gives you five categories, you know, uh, you know, medical, eugenics, social, economics, and psychological. He said, but you need a grave reason. You better check with a priest. And you can only use it as long as that persists. Once it ceases, you must cease. And you need mutual consent. So if you don't have mutual consent, you can't do it. Many people are doing it, and they don't even have a grave reason. So we come to the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Are you guilty of contraception in, in general? The pill is an abortifacient. Most contraceptions are abortifacients, which means that you can still conceive and you abort your child. Are you guilty of murder? Yeah, people murder. <laughs> There's a lot of people that murder, believe it or not. And you see more and more. Abortion or helping someone, abortion is murder. Have you helped someone, drove someone to an abortion clinic, paid for them? Have you encouraged them? Abortion carries excommunication. Have you voted pro-choice? You're participating in these things. I mean, they make me laugh in the elections in the U.S. They think, you know, these people are good. Meanwhile, they're for abortion and for rape and incest. They're pro-gay. It's nonsense. I ain't voting for people that hold in intrinsically evil principles. And then they say the priest can't even preach about this because there's, there's separation of church and state. That's heresy. There is no such thing as separation of church and state. That's why we need our prelates to step it up and really start preaching the word of God and lead the people to holiness. Are you guilty of euthanasia? This is pig. So a friend of mine was just murdered, denied him food and water. That's what hospice does most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. They'll tell you, no, no food, no water. And they say, oh, well, you know, you can't put the IV in him now. He won't be able to take it. Can't find a vein. You got 100,000 miles of veins in your body. You know, you're not, you're not allowed to be denied ordinary means, food and water. And I'm telling you, be careful. Don't be quick to go to hospice because they'll, they'll kill you. And dying of starvation... And dehydration is wicked. That's our Lord. One of the worst pains he has on the cross was dehydration. Because your body gets heated up. And what happens? The soul can despair on their deathbed like that. The pain is so bad. And then they want to inject him with morphine. I was at the deathbed of this one girl. I went to the hospital every day for her for four months. She had leukemia. And right to the end, I was there. Good thing I was there. I chased the doctor out. And the, the, one of these devils said, Don't, Mommy, she's going to die anyway. If we just give her this little shot of morphine in her heart, she won't feel it. And she'll be, it will, it will put the end to this. I said, Get out of here. I was at her deathbed 14 hours. Her name was Brianna. 
What a, in the end, what a beautiful death. She was literally glowing. She had a crucifix in her hand. Her mother, who was a wreck, all of a sudden got some grace. She started jumping up and down at the side of her bed, saying, Go, Brianna! Go to Jesus! She was like a cheerleader. It was beautiful. Beautiful. But watch out, they're killing people left and right. Have you tried to commit suicide? You know, really bad. Okay, uh, fifth commandment, have you gotten in any fights, violence, hurt anyone, anger, hatred, unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is bad. You gotta forgive. The Lord said, if you don't forgive your enemy, I cannot forgive you. You pray to our Father, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Okay? Desire for revenge. Then we got gluttony, drunkenness. Have you driven under the influence of drugs or alcohol? Endangering lives of others. Have you guilty of mutilation of your body, vasectomies, tubal ligation, hysterectomy without sufficient causes? These things are grave. And the church says if someone had a vasectomy, that if it's not a grave inconvenience and they could afford it, it should be reversed. And I've seen that happen, and then God blessed them with children after that. Too. It was beautiful. Make atonement. The man said, that's going to hurt. Well, you didn't mind the first time. You know? Have you endangered other mutual Bad example of scandals to others. Have you rejoiced over others' misfortune? Okay? We come to the sixth and uh, ninth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Impurity and immodesty in words, looks, and actions, whether alone or with others. In modest dress, clothes are meant to conceal, not to reveal. Okay? Uh, this is come, uh, wedding dresses. I can't even believe how these women, they come and they were receiving a sacrament. They committed sacrilege. They committed mortal sin. Their body's all exposed. And I don't know how the priests allow it. Even in traditional parishes, I see this. It's a disgrace. Beaches. You can't go to a beach. People say, what are you talking about? You can't go to a beach. Public pools. Why? Because you're exposing yourself to near occasion of sin. And if you're not tempted when you see a man, a beautiful woman, and I had this out with a priest once. He used to go to the beach. He loved it. I said, he goes, well, you may be tempted by women. But I said, what are you, gay? Then you can't go to the beach because you're going to be tempted by the men. People are half nude. And he would brag because all his parishioners at his side of the beach and he would hear confessions. I said, how do you resolve these women in, in, in their dress and bikinis? And you're committing sacrilege. It's disgraceful. And this is a problem in society. Everywhere you go is in modesty. You can't walk anywhere. You have to have blinders, the billboards. Everyone's dressed immodestly. People come to church. You see this. Everybody's wearing these yoga pants. Uh, these, uh, what do you, spandex. You see these women, even 350 pounds with spandex. So what are you, on drugs? Thank God, that's no temptation. <laughs> so, remember our lady came in to, uh, in a lady good success. She said, Christian modesty in young women would be unheard of in our time. And it's true. Virgins. So, have you tell, do you tell or listen to impure jokes? It's a great mortal sin to do that. 
Have you watched indecent movies, TV, books, and Internet? People say, can I watch this movie and when I see a bad part, I close my eyes? No, you idiot, because you saw the thing already. You close your eyes too late. You don't know when it's coming. Now you just expose yourself and you're going to have that vision in your mind for the rest of your life because your mind is like a camera. It's like a computer. It's stored there. And the devil can bring those things up anytime he wants then. Masturbation, fornication, prostitution, sodomy, homosexual practice, adultery, uh, polygamy, incest, rape. These are all grave sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. Okay? All grave sins. There's homosexual things too with parents. That's another thing. Like if you have a, you're a parent and you have a son who's a homosexual or a daughter's a lesbian, you can't approve that. You can't have them coming to your house with their friend. I mean, alone, but not with their so-called whatever. You've got to tell them that they're going to lose their soul. They're going to go to hell unless they convert. It's an abomination in God's sight. You never condone that nonsense. And they're shoving that down people's throat in society today. They're trying to make it normal. It will never be normal. Because God made man, woman for men. And he's always punished that. From Noah's time... Sodom and Gomorrah, the Greeks, the Romans, and now he said, when every time it's been uh, become publicly acceptable, he has destroyed the civilizations. In Noah's time, he wiped it, said, because of sins of the flesh, and it was those sins, homosexual, only cold waters can cool it down, so he sent the floods. St. Bonaventure said in the end time, he's going to send fire, because only fire can burn out avarice, and that's going to be the sin of our time. So, let me see where I am. Impure thoughts and desires which you take deliberate pleasures in. These are all things. You know, our Lord says, if you look at another man's wife with lust in your eyes, you are guilty of adultery. So, impure thoughts are not a sin if you don't give in to it. But if you give in to it, it's a grave mortal sin. In dating, you get involved in kissing, petting, all that stuff. This is why dating is a near occasion of sin. Honorable courtship. I didn't even finish that before. You have to be old enough then, mature enough. You have to be ready to marry. You have to be debt free. Then you can enter a courtship. And it's a family matter. You're not alone. The car, that's what brought dating around. It took dating, uh, it took it out of the family. And it's beautiful thing, courtship, because your mother and father, the whole family. If you want to know who you marry, you better know who the parents are, because the apple don't fall far from the tree, right? And I say, too, the nut doesn't fall far. You'll find out. You see Ma and Dad's off their rocker, you know the daughter's going to have big problems, too, man. And it does. And you marry a girl that doesn't have a proper relationship with her father, you're in for hell. And this is why it's important. Courtship is very, very... Listen to your parents. Listen, you have a good mother, thank God. She'll know what woman is right for you or not, or which girl is right for you, or man is right for you. The seventh and tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's good. Stealing, taking things from work, work done poorly, cheating, plagiarizing, copyright rules, tax evasion, not paying your debts on time, claiming bankruptcy unjustly. These things are all grave matter. And if you steal, you have to make reparation. I mean, restitution. There's no forgiveness without restitution. So if you steal a thousand dollars, 
you have to repay that back. If you don't have it, you have to promise the priest, I'm going to pay it off every week when I get my check, even if it's $10 until I could do it. And you give it to where you stole it from. And if you can't do that because you're not allowed, you're not supposed to incriminate yourself, you could give it to a charity. Okay? Usury, lending money at a higher interest rate to someone in financial difficulty. And getting back to the, the other thing, doing work poorly. If you're getting paid eight hours a day and you're only working six and you make $20 an hour, you owe your employee $40 that day. If you did it five days, you owe them $200. If you did that for 10 years, do the math. It's serious. Okay? Have you paid unjust wages? If you're an employer, you can't pay unjust wages. Those sins cry out for vengeance. All right? Have you broken contracts, excessive gambling? Okay? Are you guilty of envy? That's the desire of another one's good. Are you guilty of jealousy, of zealous vigilance in keeping a good enjoyed by oneself from others? The Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not lie, lying, boasting, bragging, flattery, hypocrisy, uh, detraction, calumny, gossip, rash judgments, refusing or delaying to restore the good name one has blackened, revealing secrets. And I, I, I can't, I could go on and on with this, but we gotta, I gotta start wrapping this up. Uh, not too bad. So, uh, but just to touch upon the two big ones, calumny and detraction. Calumny is where you lie about someone, and by doing that, you ruin their reputation. It's really bad. And detraction is where you reveal the truth about someone, but it's not public knowledge. So if you've seen someone do a sin, commit a sin, but no one knows it, and you go brag about it, tell everyone that they did it, you commit detraction. And St. Thomas Aquinas said that's worse than if you were to murder them physically. Because you, when you murder someone physically, they don't have to live in this world. But if you murder their reputation, they may never be able to be looked upon in a good light again. Nobody may want to give them a job. And so it's really bad. And when you're guilty of calumny or detraction, you have to restore the reputation. You know the story which uh, St. Philip Neri, a lady come, confessed it. He told her, okay, first get a chicken, pluck the flowers, and count, or the feathers, and count them. And, and then I want you to go to the tower in town. It was a windy day, and let them go. So she comes back. He goes, and count them. How many? Oh, a hundred something. All right, go out and go collect them now. She said, I can't. He goes, yes, and you can never re- destroy the reputation that you destroyed by committing the sin of detraction. And detraction is hard to make reparation for because you told the truth. So you can't go and say, well, it was a lie. Very bad. So these are the Ten Commandments, my friends. I went through a quick examination of conscience, believe it or not, and that's a quick one. And so I encourage you to, to take this serious. And the church encourages general confessions, but not for people that are struggling with scruples. And there's two times of general confessions. There's one that you do a complete general confession of your whole life, even if you confess the sins. And that should be done if you're ready to have a change of life, if you're going to get married or, say, take vows as a religious or a priest. You should do a general confession for that. If you've never done one, it's good to do it. And pray that you have that grace on your deathbed to do that.
And the other general confession is every year at the end of the year, you should do a general confession for the whole past year. And it's really good. So once again, now is it at the present, it depends on us to choose whatever sentence we please. Review and settle your accounts. The judge may be appeased before the judgment, but not after, but not join it. So now, my friends, we come to the general judgment. The general judgment will be at the end of the world. And some people think that we're at the, ready for the general, the end of the world. But you know what? We got some, who knows? I don't know the time. And anyone that tells you they know the time, tell them, get behind you, Satan. Because they don't. Our Lord says, says not even the Son of God knows the time. Of course, Jesus knows the time. But, the, but so many people live about with, this, with the, uh, the final judgment. And they say, what good is it you focus so much on that when if you die tonight, are you ready? But the general judgment is a real thing. And these things that I'm talking about are important because there's heresies out there today about the particular and general judgment. That you choose your, that is not a judgment. That you don't get a divine sentence. And that's all lies from hell. One of the top exorcists they said in the world, I was at an exorcism conference, and he was spewing out that heresy. I took him on in front of 150 priests. Because I said, that's heresy, you clown. And you're an exorcist? You got the devil in you. And he was famous. Famous. The last I heard, he was removed. I hope they, they don't put him back out there. But the bottom, you've got to watch these heresies. So many people talk about there's going to be this great enlightenment that we're all going to know our sins. Let me tell you something. I hope that happens. I welcome that. And, but you know what? The church has never definitively taught that. Some of the saints, uh, you know, I don't even know if some of, the, some of these modern saints have said so. But I don't, you know, it's not in the scriptures. And, you, and, and even if, say, it does happen, you may not be in your time. But we know one thing, because Our Lady of Fatima told us, that Russia has to be consecrated to our Immaculate Heart. And if it's not, the bishop with the Pope in union with all the bishops, if he does not do that, Russia will spread our errors throughout the whole world. Whole nations will be annihilated. But in the end, the Pope will consecrate Russia. Russia will be converted, and there will be a reign of peace. So we know we have to see this reign of peace first before the end of the world. We haven't seen that. We know we haven't seen Russia converted because the third seek was never fully revealed and the consecration was never done, and we have to pray for that. I'm just trying to give you a little perspective about the final judgment. Where it went, how long? I don't know. Maybe in our time, is it possible? But once Russia is consecrated, there will be a reign of peace. After that reign of peace, my friends, the Antichrist comes, and there will be a man who will be the Antichrist, and he will reign on the earth, rule on the earth, and it will be the worst persecution the church has ever seen. And he will reign for three and a half years, three to three and a half years, an imitation of Christ's public ministry. And then Christ comes and destroys him, and that will be the end of the world. And 2 Corinthians says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the proper things of the body according as has done, whether it is good or evil. The second judgment occurs when on the same day and in the same place all men shall stand together before the tribunal of the judge. 
that in the presence of all men in all times, each may know his final doom and sentence. And so, when God, he's going to consume the world by fire, it tells us in Scripture. And after that, all the dead will rise. You're, right now, anybody who's died, their body is separated from their soul except for Our Lady. She has a full body, a glorified body in heaven. But at death, all those ashes, whether they were sprinkled in the ocean or wherever these morons uh, sprinkle ashes, they're all going to come back and it's going to form your body again. And if you're going to hell, the wicked will be on the left side of our Lord and on the right will be the just. It's going to be a scary day. Scary day. And in the presence of all men, all the sins of the reprobates will be revealed. Imagine how embarrassing that's going to be. Would you like all your sins revealed right now to everyone in this room? But on the judgment day, every human being that existed will be standing there, and all the reprobates for sure, we could say, the church, all their sins will be revealed, and then will be cast into the pit of hell. But the just, some, some saints say, well, the just sins will be revealed too, but it won't be embarrassing for them because they triumphed, they were faithful to God, and it will be a joy. But a lot of saints say no. So the, we, we don't have to take any final position on that. But the bottom line is, do you want your sins revealed before the whole world? Imagine how humiliating. All your sins. The wicked and the good perform their good or evil works with the cooperation of the body. The body should then share with the soul the due rewards of eternal glory or punishment. So man is composite of body and soul. And your body and your soul both participate in sin or in doing good. And so both have to be punished or both have to be rewarded. The signs. There are signs of its approach. How do we know these signs have to be fulfilled before the final judgment come? The first is the preaching of the gospel throughout the whole world. We know that's fulfilled, my friends. This gospel has been preached everywhere, especially in our times with the radio. Radio TV can be used for good. The Internet can be used for good. That's been. Number two, there'll be... Let me see this one. There'll be an apostasy in the church. Apostasy means a falling away, total falling away from the church, from the true teachings. We've seen that apostasy in before our very eyes. And the apostasies that the great saints tell us will be from the Pope down. And we're seeing our Pope spewing heresy out all the time these days. We see the bishops supporting him in the heresy. We see the, the Pope uh, not correcting Wicked, the church in Germany, it's so disgraceful and so heretical. They're embracing everything. Woman ordination, they want, they want uh, pro-homosexual marriage, you name it, they're for it. And he's all for it himself. So we see that. Then we see that there'll be natural disasters Plagues and so forth will keep on increasing as we get closer to the end time. If you, they got websites that keep track of all this stuff. Earthquakes, mudslides, uh, you know, you name it. Tsunamis. It's happening all over. Okay? And then there'll be the coming of the Antichrist, that one man. And it will be wicked. 
wicked, wicked. So there's got to, there's reasons for the general judgment. Hold on, let's show. So let me just go through this one. So once again, the end of the world will be immediately followed by two great events, the resurrection of the dead and the judgment. St. Peter teaches that the end of the world will be by fire at the moment when Jesus Christ shall come in his glory to judge the living and the dead. The universal fire will destroy the present world, purifying all things and making them worthy of the new state as to be in harmony with the glory of the elect. It will all, it will act also as an instrument of God, in particular for the purification of those souls which are still in purgatory and still living at the time. The purifying virtue of this fire will be proportioned to God, by God, to the degree of expiation necessary for each one. So purgatory will cease at the end of the world. Purgatory is a state where if you die in the state of grace, in union with God, but you didn't make atonement and reparation for all the sins that you committed, because you have to make reparation and atonement, then it's a place to make that reparation and atonement. The souls in purgatory are saints because they have all saved their souls. All of them. And there's suffering, tremendous, tremendous suffering in purgatory. Tremendous. One minute in purgatory could feel, they say, like 45 years. There's a story of two priests. They made a deal that whoever died first, the other one would offer mass immediately at the moment he heard of the death. So this priest died and his buddy is offering a sacrifice in the mass. And the priest appeared that died. He said, why, why did it take so long? You promised you would have mass for me. He goes, your body's not even cold. You only died a little while ago. He goes, I feel like I've been here 45 years. But it, when, so those that are in purgatory, some people they, we know that will be there till the end of time, Jewish saints. That's pretty bad. And we, once again, they can't pray for themselves. They could pray for us. And when you have devotion to the holy souls, they will bless you a thousand times over. Pray for them. But in the end time, when the God consumes the world by fire, those that are in purgatory will go through their purification and God can do it to the extent, to the degree they need, and it will be in a flash, but it will be like they took whatever time. So the resurrection of the dead. St. Paul tells us there will be heard a voice, the sound of a trumpet, which will awaken the dead from their tombs and command all men to stand before the judge of the living and the dead. And this judge will descend from heaven in all the glory of his majesty. The bodies elect will be glorified. They will be the same bodies that the just had when they lived on earth, but glorified. The body will have four perfections or four qualities. Impassibility, subtlety, agility, clarity. I'll go over these Sunday. The bodies will rise at an age in which the human nature is in its most perfect state of development. Most theologians say it will be 33 years old, which is the age that Christ died. The judgment. As soon as men rise from the dead, they will be immediately in the presence of the sovereign judge, who will appear under the form of his sacred humanity. All the glory which is due to his union with the person of the word. All men will see the glory of the sovereign judge, but only the elect, whose souls enjoy the beatific vision, will see the glory of his divine nature. The angels shall go out and shall separate the wicked from the just. The just will stand on the right and the wicked will be driven to the left. 
with that will be the confusion of the wicked, when after being separated from the just, they will be abandoned. The confusion alone would, according to St. Christendom, be sufficient to constitute a hell for the reprobate. The son will be separated from the father, the husband from the wife. One shall be taken and one shall be left. Tell me, brother, what place do you think will fall to you? Would you wish to be found at the right hand if you do abandon the life that will lead to the left? That's the bottom line. You know what's really scary? And this, this nobody could wrap their mind about. That if on the judgment day, this particular judgment day, you're on the right and your loved ones are on the left, it will not bother you at all. You'll have joy. And who could wrap their mind about? Now's the time to do the penance for your children and your loved ones. Now's the time. Now's the time to pray for the conversion of souls. Because once we're here, nothing can be changed. And I'm going to end with this. I want to read to you from one of my favorite saints, St. Peter of Alcantara. He was a great Franciscan saint. He was one of the greatest. St. Teresa of Avila said, if it wasn't for him, her reform would have never taken place. And this is what he says. This is from his meditation himself. What will the wicked feel when God examines each one, saying to him in the interior of his conscience, Come hither, thou evil man. What hast thou seen in me to despise me thus, and to pass into the camp of my enemy? To my own image and likeness I have created thee. I have given to thee the light of fate. I have made a Christian of thee. With my own blood have I ransomed thee. It was for thee I fasted and journeyed, watched and toiled. For thee my seat became as drops of blood. For thee I suffered persecution and blows, blasphemy and derision, mockery, dishonor, torment, and at last the cross. See here the cross and the nails. See still upon my body the wounds of feet and hands. Before this sky and earth I suffered, and they bear witness still. What hast thou done with that, that soul of thine, which I, by my blood made mine. And what work hast thou employed, what I so dearly won? O foolish and adulterous generation, why hast thou rather sought in weariness to serve thy enemy than enjoy to serve me, the, thy Redeemer and Creator? So often have I called thee, and thou did not answer. I have knocked upon thy door, and thou did not rouse thyself. I have stretched out my hands upon the cross, and thou did not regard. Thou hast despised my counsel and all my promises and threats. It is for you now, angels of mine, to speak. Judge, judges, between me and my vine. What is there that I ought to have done for it which I have not done? What reply shall the wicked give those who have made a mockery of divine things, who have ridiculed holiness, who have despised simplicity, those who have preferred the laws of the world to those of God, men deaf to every voice of God, insensible to every inspiration, rebellious against his commandments, hard and ungrateful before chastisements and benefits alike. How shall they make answer 
who have lived as though they had no belief in God and knew no other law than that of their own interest. What will you do, say, says Isaiah, in the day of visitation and of the calamity which cometh from afar? From whom will you seek help? And what value to you now will be the abundance of your wealth? O faithful souls who love God, be not troubled at seeing yourselves in contempt and tribulation on this earth. Your sorrows shall be turned into joy on the day of judgment. You will be called truly fortunate, and you will have the honor of being declared as belonging to the court of Jesus Christ. Oh, how great will they be, the honors of so many martyrs who have been torn to pieces by their executioners. The judgment begins, the books which shall be the consciences of each individual open. The witnesses against the reprobate will be first the devils, who according to St. Augustine will say, Most judge, judge, declare him to be mine, who is unwilling to be yours. The second witness will be their own conscience. Their conscience bears witness to them. The third witness will be the judge himself, who will give evidence against the sinner. I am the judge and the witness, says the Lord. St. Paul says that then the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Then he will make known to all men the most secret and shameful sins of the reprobate which they concealed, even the tribunal of the confessional. Many theologians are of the opinion that the sins of the elect will not be manifested, but will, according to the words of David, be covered. Blessed are they whose iniquity are forgiven and whose sins are covered. But St. Basil teaches that with a single glance, all will see in a picture the sins of the damned. Jesus Christ will turn to the elect, and address them in these consoling words. Come, you blessed of my Father. Possess the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But on the other hand, Jesus will say to the reprobate, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. How sad, my friends. Let us pray that we will all be on the right. Let us pray that all our loved ones will be on the right. This is all that matters. Once we cross into eternity, it's forever. We can't come back. Now's the time to do penance. Now's the time, as my Holy Father Francis says, is the time to do good works, to work out our salvation and feel eternal. Our Lord's given us all the tools we need, all the graces we need. He sends his own mother to us constantly throughout history, a lady of Fatima. What an aid for us that if we follow the peace plan of Fatima, that if we follow Our Lady's instructions, we will save our souls. And we won't go to heaven alone. We'll bring many with us. And so I end this with the reasons, once again, for the general judgment. The virtuous frequently suffer from misrepresentation in this world. Why the wicked obtain the praises of virtue? Why does the just man suffer and the wicked man prosper? We see that all the time. And I told somebody today that many people, if they go throughout life without suffering, without the cross, the great saints say it's a sign that they'll be condemned to death. Because the only way to heaven is through the cross. 
And so when the person goes throughout life, gets everything they want, comfortable, all the money, fame, well, it's a sign they're going to go to hell. And when they go before God, but what about the good I did? Well, there's no good when you merit, you can't merit immortal sin, but whatever good you did, you got your reward. You got it what you want in that world. But now you have to pay. Sad. Those who depart this life leave behind them children who imitate their conduct, as well as dependents, followers, and others who admire and advocate their example, language, and action. Now, by all these circumstances, the rewards of the, or punishment of the dead must be increased since the good or bad influence of example, affecting as it does the conduct of many, is to terminate only at the end of the world. And this is important. So, once again, don't think one person can't change the world. It can. Look at St. Francis. 800 years his order still exists. All the good that he did will not be added up because our Lord promised that his order will remain till the end until he dies, until the world is consumed. And then he'll get all that merit. But if you did wicked, all that wickedness can't be added up until the end. Because if you teach your children to be devils, they're going to teach their children to be devils. And it's handed down, handed And then your punishment cannot be added up until the end. So that's why we have the general thing. Review and settle your accounts. The judge may be appeased before judgment, but not join the judgment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. We give you thanks, O oh my God, for all your blessings, for you live and reign forever. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. have enjoyed this presentation, The Four Last Things, by Father Isaac Mary Relier, brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. For these and many other spiritual resources, which help spread Our Lady's message of Fatima and the truths of our Catholic faith, we invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.com. Dot O-R-G. You can contact us by phone at 1-800-263-8160. That's 1-800-263-8160. Or by email, info at Fatima.org. That's info at Fatima.org. St. Alphonsus Liguori. Saint Leonard of Port Maurice, Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Pie Jesu Domine.